I started coming up to the local open mics almost 20 years ago, there was only a handful of readings going on. Tom Nattel had the QE2, Mary Panza hosted the Borders open mic, and my guest today, R.M. Engelhardt, hosted a monthly open mic at Stefanucci's in Colony. R.M. Engelhardt's work over the years has been published in many journals and magazines, both in print and online, including Poetic Diversity, Rusty Truck, Shore, the Charles Bukowski Newsletter, Thunder Sandwich, the Boston Literary Review, Full of Crow, Fashion for Collapse, Second Avenue Poetry, the Outlaw Poetry Network, and in many others. He has also had 13 books to his credit and is the founder of Albany Poets and as well the creator of of our annual event, the Albany Word Fest. In our conversation, we talk about when Rob started writing and when he became interested in coming out to the poetry open mics in the area, and when and why he started hosting his own readings and events. Then we touch on his new Create the Book project, which is about giving poets a chance to publish and sell their own books. Thanks for tuning in. This is the Albany Poets Interview. You and I have known each other now for 20 years, pretty much, 21 years now, maybe going on 22. Um, you know, when I started out at the local open mics, you were the first person to come up to me and say, hey, welcome, you know, and it was, you know, obviously it was something that, that I've still hung on to, so, and, um, you know, I, I definitely appreciate that. So, um, 20 years, what got you coming out to the open mics? What started you discovering the, the vast poetry community that we have here in Albany? Well, I was always interested in writing. And I wrote since the age of 15. And... uh one of the things was I used to go to the QE2 back in the day, the old mm-hmm. punk rock uh, club that we had that is now the Fuse Box. And I heard there was a poetry reading run by some guy named Tom Nattel, um every last Monday of the month. And so I was, I was curious. I wanted to read my poetry out. I'd never read my poetry um, out before. And I decided I would go to the reading at the end of the month. Well, what I did was, however, I didn't just go right out and read. I was a little wary of, you know, uh, different things, so I wanted to see what it was like. I wanted to see what the poetry reading was exactly like. So what I did for the first, I think it was three months that I ran, the last Monday of each month, I would go and I'd listen to the poetry, drink at the bar, met some of the poets, heard some of the kind of work they were reading, um, got to know some of the people, and on the third month, I finally read a poem. And I think the poem was, this is before I even put out my first chapbook, it was, I believe, oh wow, let's see, I think it was the poem Universe. It's okay. a short kind of haiku type piece that I read. Whoa. I can't imagine you writing haiku, but go on. Uh, that's how I started out. I actually, my influences were more like people like James Wright and Pablo Neruda and stuff at that time. So I was, I was writing very 
short, powerful type poems that I was, I didn't have these, you know, any rants, any type of, uh, kind of, of work that fell into that category. I heard a lot of it at the reading and I was just like, wow, this is amazing. I met Mary Panza and I met, uh, Steve Clark and Don Levy, um, who were regulars and had amazing work and, uh, were talented and hilarious. And, uh, I just, I was very quiet. Wasn't the, uh, socio, you know, social <laughs> guy I am now, so to speak. Right. Um, but I was, I was very, you know, just like when you came onto the scene several years later, you just have that whole thing like, okay, well, this is wow, you know, and so yep. Tom Nattel and Dan Wilcox and Matt Kelly, all those people. I met Kim Fleming, who, um, I thought was amazing at the time and listening to his work, uh, and, uh, Pat Covert, who I got talking oh, to. And, uh, ironically, <clears throat> there was a lot of closed cigarettes there. There was a lot <laughs> of closed smoking in those days. So geez, figures that I smoke closed cigarettes now, right? So oh, it, it was, uh, they were influential in the whole, idea, so to speak, of the whole feel of how you go about at an open mic being who you are and at the same time presentation. That was the one part that was kind of missing with me because here I am, I'm just a guy who writes, quiet guy, uh, likes metal and punk, whatever, but I wanted to see how it went. So I was hooked. And I, mm-hmm. I kept kept going and became a part of the scene, made a lot of great friends, met a lot of talented people. And uh, then as I went along the journey, so to speak, of reading and doing things, I realized that, you know what, I I would really like to be more of a part of the poetry scene in Albany and create things and, and make things happen. And um, some of my... Mentors, so to speak, who I asked for advice on that were Tom Nattel and Dan Wilcox and mm-hmm. how to go about things. So that's that's how it is, and that's how I did so it. What, so what was the the scene like back then? I mean, I know there you know there were only a couple mics going on, and the the the, the granddaddy of them all being the Curie Two. What else was going on? Because it was back in that time. Like, yeah. Well, back in that time period, there were a couple other open mics. There was actually one that was across the street at the um, at Iffy's, which William Robert Fulton really? uh, used to run. And, uh, of course, at times, there was just the different venues in different places. Actually, the Palais Royale was the place where he ran the mic, I believe. Um, which of course is not across the street from Iffy's, but he, no. we, everybody used to go across the street at Iffy's and, and get drunk after the readings usually. <laughs> but it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. It was, it was just those, those times can't be replaced. I can, I can get extremely nostalgic about all that because this was sort of, uh, the nineties, the, the early nineties were just, you know, in the mid nineties were just this 
really incredible time for poetry. Nationwide, the slam scene was picking up, and spoken word was more used than slam, actually, mm-hmm. back then. And uh, so this was something where I felt at home. I felt yeah. that, and I used to have these long conversations with Steve Clark about music and poetry and different aspects and influences and stuff. And he was very influential. I'm like, well, have you ever heard of this guy? You know, some French uh, poet that, you know, existed in the early 1920s or whatever. I'm like, no, I never read his work. And so I'd look up the work and I'd find out things. So it was kind of like, uh, it was like spoken word poetry school. Yeah, it was. I mean, and in that time, it was getting the spoken word and poetry was getting like a lot of major mainstream attention. You know, if you remember, uh, MTV had their Unplugged series, and they had Mm -hmm. poetry unplugged. You know, it was it it was opening up Lollapalooza tours. It was, you know, spoken word was everywhere, and it, it, it was an exciting time. And I think that's what got me into it. Um, it was, you know, 1994, I believe, 95 is when I first started coming out. And it was, you know, that's what it was. I mean, it, it wasn't that, that Shakespeare and the classic poetry that you learned in school. It was something new and exciting and vibrant. It was real people. It was, you know, it was tangible. And that's what made it great. And that's, you know, that's what hooked me, um, you know. 20 something years ago and it's it's great that you know it, it it was there and it was an outlet and it still is i mean there there's still you know a vibrant scene here what do you think has changed and what do you think about the open mics readings the events the stuff that's happening now in the area well i sort of pulled myself out of the scene a few years ago to be completely honest with you not because i didn't like the nature of the work or that I, you know, there's this preconception because of conversations I've had on Facebook that I, I'm not a, you know, I don't like slam, that I'm completely against slam or anything. It's not that I'm against slam. I'm more into the idea that the spoken word and open mic is for everybody and that it was created so new voices could kind of come forth and, they don't have to fit a pattern. That's the uniqueness of poetry and individuals who write poetry. There has to be more of this openness. A slam, to me, was, it became, unfortunately, over time. Now, this is, you know, of course, over more than 20 years now. But what happened was it sort of became a product and people, even academics, all these different places, high schools, uh, every time now when you see something advertised, it became more of a thing where, okay, well, we're having a slam when it's just well, pretty I much poetry say, reading. Exactly. I will say that I've noticed that over the years, especially since, you know, in the past four or five years since I've been involved with, with, with the Nitty Gritty Slam locally, is that you do see that, and I think it's just, it's not, it's more of a misconception and, and, and people using the term wrong and not understanding that there is a difference. So exactly. People, you know, so, I mean, because you do see that, like, oh, well, we're having our, our annual school slam. Well, actually, you're not having a slam. You're just having a, a poetry reading, a recital, or what have you. Um, and they just 
found that buzzword and just picked up on it. Um, and that, that, that's something that has bothered me for years, especially, you know, running a, a real quote unquote, I guess, I mean, not even quote unquote, a real slam is that it's like, no, don't misuse the term. Like if you're going to play football, don't say that you're, you're hosting a ping pong tournament, you know, <laughs> right. You know, it, it's two completely different things. And, you know, slam is, is what it is. And it's its own separate beast. Um, and, you know, just the fact that it infuriated me for years is people using the term wrong. And, uh, yeah, so anyway, <laughs> back to, back to, uh, so was that the only thing that pulled you back, pulled, pulled well, you out of well, the scene? Not really. There's, there's a number of, of different things. I just, I wanted to kind of, to be honest with you, step aside because Albany has always been like, oh, well, Here's Metroland's best poets, and every year I would either get number one, number two, you know, number whatever in you, Metroland's Mary best. Uh, you and Dan Wilcox, shocking, yep, and Gary Murrow, and Gary Murrow, yes, same yep. same exact lineup every year. Um, I I don't see Gary about it anymore either. <clears throat> Anyways, wow. uh, but it's the the whole the same thing. And so I was kind of a part of the vibrant scene for quite a while of, of poetry and art and and making things happen. But there were other things in life, my own personal life, um, basically trying to uh, start new tr- projects, find new things. You can't really write. If you are so much a part of things that you're going to these events, I mean, how are you going to create new material? How is your life going to go in a different direction, let alone find yourself, so to speak, if you're in the center of things? So I became kind of a poet isolationist, so to speak. Um, I even have a poem about that in the new book I'm coming up with. But it's the idealism that it's the inner life that counts more than the outer life. If you're a writer, you have to be brought to new ideas and and new ways of thinking or writing, for that matter, trying to recreate yourself or perhaps do something that is a little different than you've done in the past. I put out all these books and... The writing is about, well, my life in those days and those times. But at the same time, it's not the reflection of who you are so much anymore after a while. You want that authentic, you know, yourself. You want to be. And so you got to step back. You got to look at things in life and say, okay, well, who am I? What do I want to say and so for a long time I actually stopped writing as well I was working I work 80 hour weeks I do these things I fell in love with my wife and not my now wife and got married Uh, and uh, so there's things in terms of just living that precede the fact of poetry itself Um, used to be that poetry was the most important thing to me that mattered. I lived the life. I think I was telling you in a uh, thing I wrote up about how, well, yeah, I lived those days. I did all those things. I, mm-hmm. 
ran around. I had my fun. I didn't, you know, the the drinking, the living, the actual uh, quote unquote poet life. Yeah, as people would want to romanticize, but right. That's it was a wild time. It was, and that's the other thing about slam and the kind of spoken word poetry that used to exist. That time only exists in its moment. That was then, this is now. We only change as we get older. We only change as human beings if we let ourselves, if we make that those changes. So life will change you at the same time. I took a step back so I could basically find myself again and be able to write. I put out the Resurrection Waltz a couple years ago, and, well, that was kind of like my, okay, well, I'm still here. I'm going to write about what I feel, what I see, poems like St. Poem, the fact that poetry actually writing is it saves you to a degree it makes you feel whole it makes you who you are for some people who are writers they understand that but to get back on the track i just pretty much pulled myself out of the scene to sort of basically find new ways of writing expression as well and I do miss, I from time to time, um, I do go out to poetry readings, but usually to the ones where I still know all the same people from 20 years ago and uh, all my friends, sometimes I miss it. Mm-hmm. But to be honest, it's uh, it's something where I'm just going to write, I'm going to find my voice, and when I come out to read, I want to have something that is new, not a poem that I read 20 years ago, because like you said, the future, future poet readings, how many times I've lost track of how many times I've say read, uh, uh, you know, uh, a poem for every mind who's ever noticed what wall imitation and, you know, the sound right. bit, ha ha ha. So you, 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 you want to present new work. You want to just recreate. Absolutely. That's why, you know, I, I went through a couple of years ago, I, I retired a bunch of poems. So I decided, you know, I'm not going to read this one ever again out in public. Uh, like the trucker poem. I mean, come on, mm-hmm. how many times have I done that? You know, there's, there, there was probably a good dozen poems that I, I, I did a feature. I was a feature one night and I said, these, this is the last time that I'm going to read these poems out in public. Um, I've since, you know, read a couple of them here and there uh, by request. But, you know, it, you, you have to create new stuff. You have to come up with new ideas. Um, and like you said, when you're out in it all the time, it's hard to write. Um, I've, you know, since I stepped back from running Nitty Gritty Slam, I found myself writing so much more. It's been amazing. Yeah, it was like, oh my gosh, this this has all been sitting here waiting and now mm-hmm. I have time to do it. And it's, it's unbelievable. Um one of the things that, you know, you you said over the years you were you were doing all this, you know, creating 
coming up, living the life, being part of the scene, one of the things that you've done is you've hosted a lot of open mics. You've hosted a lot of readings. When did you start hosting? When when did you decide that, you know what, I've been going to these mics, I've been going to these readings, now I want to throw my hat in the ring and I want to, to do my own series? When was that? Why, why did it happen? Well, I I went to a lot of the readings, like I said, back in the day, and I would observe kind of what was going on, and I said to myself, well, you know what? The School of Night, for instance, School of Night, as you know, is and was a society that was pretty much with Dr. D, not a, not a rapper, but uh, a number of, like, Christopher Marlowe and, uh, for instance, Sir Walter Raleigh back in the time of Shakespeare. Well, what happened was I decided that I wanted to have something that was based on open-mindedness and not so much one form of poetry or one kind of presentation of poetry. I thought the QE2 reading, and I still think this, was probably the best reading of any because of the time and place and the way that Tom Nattel presented. It was open to everybody. But I wanted to kind of add a, a different, how can I say this, a different flair, a different feeling to it where there would be more people coming out to readings, feeling more free. I thought that what was missing somewhat was that there are a lot of new poets who they they weren't comfortable coming out because the QE2 back then, you got realize, was, was incredibly crowded. You you were lucky if you got a place, a, a spot on the sign-up sheet. If you arrived late, you might not get a spot or you were the last poet to read. Uh, I did Vox before that. And Vox was at the Lionheart when it was originally on uh, Mark Street. And that had a different feel completely. That was more of the standard open mic. Bringing that was a huge people. open mic. I remember yes. going in there, and this was, I, I, I had to sneak in, because this was around, I was like 17. Uh, so, like, you know, I, I, I kind of ducked in before I turned 18, where you could actually be in a bar. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, you know, would would walk in that room, and it was unbelievably packed. There was, I, I mean, I remember one night getting there, and I was a little bit late, and I think the first poet was just up on stage, and there were 35 people signed up. And luckily, you you kind of snuck me in and uh, put me in at like number 15 or so, so I wasn't there all night. But I mean, it was what an incredible turnout for for a poetry reading at you know at, at the time I mean Lionheart was you know like where, like we said was where Bombers is now so that dining room um you know had couches and 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 the pool table was still in the same spot um it was a very comfortable room but oh my gosh it was so packed with and they were there for the poetry it's not you know folks were just happened to be there drinking and a poetry open mic happened these people were there for the poetry and it was it was just an unbelievable setting, and um, that will always stick out for me. Is that you know look, looking at that sign up sheet, like, 
oh my gosh, where am I going to go? I was late. Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? <laughs> it was, it was great. But I mean, and it was just, it was such a welcoming crowd. And I still have a couple of pictures, uh, from, it was like, you know, one of my first times reading. I mean, really, I'm getting, you know, I was still young at the time and, and, and not coming out to things as much as, you know, as I do now. Um, and it was just, it was just an unbelievable mic. And that, like I said, will be one of my, my biggest memories of the scene is, is those readings. Like, like, like we said, the early to mid nineties where there weren't a lot of mics, there weren't a lot of events and readings so that when you went out, you had to make it. Otherwise you'd miss it. You know, you couldn't be like, Oh, well, I'll, I'll go to so-and-so's reading next week. You know, you, mm-hmm. you only had a, a couple of months. So if you didn't make it to, you know, the Lionheart reading, well, you had to wait a whole other month, you know, to, to read your work or hear other people because there weren't as many opportunities. It was just unbelievable at the time. Well, so, that was you. Yeah. Oh, go, go ahead. ahead. Yeah. Poetry was at its height in our area at that time in the mm-hmm. uh, Albany area. It was, not just like, as you said, the media that was all about poetry and such and a lot of poetry, new poetry is being recognized or things of that nature. But it was the amount of just, I think, need for it. Coffee houses came back. All these, it's all in the time period. Like I said, with the QE2, just the same thing. And there weren't very many readings out there at the time. And so people would go into bars and they would say, wow, or they'd go into the coffee house and there was actual poetry being read and they would be drawn into it. Um, people who weren't even poets would write poems at the bar and they'd go to me say, can I, can I read this? This is, and they would be excited about it. It was something new for a lot of people who never tried it before and never even thought about going to an open mic. So, it was it, it got a lot of people who were regulars uh, like Mojave and mm-hmm. and people who uh came about to create their own readings such as you and to make things happen and I think that was like a, a golden time that was just that whole time period that was amazing back then. Do you think that it peaked? Do you think that that was it the pinnacle? And that it's been in a valley since. And do you see an upswing at some point? Well, that's a difficult question because, like I said, I have pulled myself um, kind of out of the scene for a few years. But one of the interesting things I find is that, well, as a lot of people know, you and I, we created Albany Poets. We created a website, and what we did was we united a lot of the poetry readings and a lot of the poets, and we created something where there was a, a online connection. People would be able to know about poetry. People would be able and to. We became part of that. Time, right, and this mm-hmm. was a time before. You know, this was, you know, uh, the year 2000, 1999, 2000, somewhere around there. In a time before everyone had 
uh, a website. It was a time before social media. It was a time, mm-hmm. you know, you know, before the proliferation of the internet, so to speak, the way it is now. So, you know, as just thinking back then, I mean, we were ahead of our time trying to bridge the gap and get all these, you know, readings. And, you know, basically, I mean, if I remember correctly, the idea originally was just to basically put a calendar up of everything that was going on between, you know, Saratoga and Woodstock, you know, mm-hmm. and like, all right, here. And then we featured a couple of poets. I think there was, what, like five or six poets originally on the site. And that was, that, that was it. I mean, that, and that was huge for back then. And, and you know, it, it's just amazing to see where we've come since then. But, you know, that was the time where we said, okay, we need to bring all this stuff together. And it was, it was unbelievable at the time to be like, all right, we have a website. You can come and check it out. And then once we did that, well, what happened was pretty much evolution. We, we created something that, in effect, helped the poetry community grow. But at the same time, it grew exponentially, so to speak. It's like it just went out of proportion to a degree. And there's a poetry reading, how many poetry readings every week now, if you go on the Alpine oh, Poets yeah. site? Yeah, I mean, when I, you know, and I update the stuff on the calendar, you know, every week, and it's it's amazing. You know, like I talked to you um, before we started chatting here, is that, you know, I'm, I'm working on a new idea, a new series, and looking at the calendar is where is there a hole? Where can I do something that's not conflicting with another event? You know, it's, it's back in the old days, you know, you could, you know, close your eyes and point to a date on the calendar and it would be open. Now you have to dig and be like, all right, well, there's this, you know, oh, well, well, it's only on this month that it's free next month that the, that space isn't free. And it's, it, it's becoming more and more difficult because there's so much going on. Well, the interesting thing about what we did was we were kind of, in effect, the ones probably who could have only really started that. We were already both in the scene. Um, mm-hmm. I was already getting attention in terms of running Vox and the, the readings, so I already had the background, and I did a lot of promotional work. I used to be... Before, you know, I gave the title of events management, so to speak, or anything of that nature, I was helping out my friend's bands for years, putting up flyers, putting up, and I approached, that's the one different thing that I used to do, where I approached things a little different. Other poets, like Dan and such, yes, they would promote their work, but I promoted my readings like a band, and I made them, I sort of made the flyers back then, like reverse mm-hmm. negative, you know. I yep. made it like I, I was promoting. Those flyers. Yep. <laughs> I, I would promote it literally like it was like, you know, come out and see this, you know, punk band or whatever kind of thing. And it was uh, the the whole thing of like, okay, that's different. I would mm-hmm. feature like the Silver Surfer or I would feature something where it was uh, – uh, something that was almost sci-fi looking. And right. uh, people seem to latch onto that. But then with Albany Poets, the site itself, well, suddenly, there we are. We've got whole reach to a brand new audience. P- 
people who never, and they looked online and they would be able to come out and, uh, and it worked. It, it worked yep. very well. And you were the guy who built the site, who made it happen. And you, you're still running the gig. That's yes. the thing by, by 15 oh, years later, I'm still doing it. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I, within the four years or so, three and a half, four years that from the get go when we started it, it was great. But then I started at the end of that time period, I started wearing down. A lot of mm-hmm. changes happened in my, my life and such. And so, I was like, well, I want to, I want to create other things, but I also want to, you know, I've been in Albany all my life. So I was like, I, I ended up hooking up with an ex-girlfriend and and moving to Florida, the Keys. I mean, how far out Mm -hmm. can you get? I was in a rural area, not Key West. And I, I tried after a while of living there, experiencing the lifestyle and being down there. I was like, well, I want to start some stuff around here and it can be on a smaller scale. And we were actually thinking of having, what was it? I, I forgot exactly what we called it, but we were going to have like an Albany poets Northeast. And then we were going to like start this whole poetry oh, had, network. Uh, <laughs> Remember that? You wanted to start school of night South. That's what you yep. wanted to do. Yeah. You had that going. And then, yeah, we wanted to, to regionalize the, the idea of Albany poets, um, you know, which, you know, still could work. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that, I, I definitely remember that. And then, you know, but, but you weren't down there too long. I, if I recall, well, so the, we get a so, chance to really like flesh out all the details. Well, that didn't work out down there because of basically relationships. I was with a, an ex-girlfriend, um, that didn't quite work out personal and personal life wise. But, um, the other thing was I didn't, Really, after being there as well, I didn't feel at home. Mm-hmm. There was, there was one poetry reading down there in Key West. I had to travel 30 miles there and back just to go to a poetry reading. Then I realized how, you know, wow, this is not like Albany. So therefore I ended up missing what mm-hmm. the very thing I tried to get away from. <laughs> Right. Uh, And then one night I showed up and you were running school night, as I recall, at Valentine's. And uh, here comes this unshaven guy with long ass hair coming in and the leather jacket like in. You're like, yep, you'd be back. (laughs) Yep. Because I remember it was outside the place. It was me, Mary, Keith, Dale, I believe. And um, I think maybe even Dan Wilcox was outside and, and, and. I think everyone but Dan Wilcox was smoking cigarettes. And, you know, we looked down the street and we're like, you turn the corner from, from Madison Ave onto New Scotland and we saw you coming down the street like, oh my God, he's back. And then we all uh, looked at the, uh, at the pool because we all had a pool going. Oh, uh, going to be back. Yeah. And, uh, I think Mary won. I think, I, I, I think she won the money. So, it was a whole 20 bucks, I think. And, uh, that was it. Well, that's not surprising. <laughs> Mary knew me better than... <laughs> of oh course she God. did. Especially yeah. Mary. <laughs> yep. Mary knew me better than said, most... Yeah, as soon as you said you were leaving, we knew you were coming back. <laughs> Everyone comes back. Yep. 
That's uh, the old urban legend of Albany, that if you're a musician or a writer or an artist, you will be back. You will come back. (laughs) It's home. It's home. you got to come home. So as we, you know, wow, we've been chatting about open mics and and performing for, for 40 minutes. What one one of the things that I wanted to to ask you about was this new. You sent me an email like a month or so ago about this new project uh, called Create the Book. That's the name of it, yeah. And it is the name. So, I and 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 I was intrigued by by the whole premise of it. What exactly are you trying to do? What's what's the idea? What's the fundraiser? What's the whole project? What's the scope? Well, Create the Book is an idea I've had for a long time. Now, there's been fundraiser sites for quite a while. Go fund, go fund it is what I'm going through. And go fund me, Barbie. Yeah, fund it, fund me, fund something. Uh, but what, there you go. Uh, but what basically the idea was all along, I've had this for a while that, well, geez, you know, it's very hard unless you're perhaps rich, would be the word, to put out Mm -hmm. a book of poetry. Some people say, well, poetry's not a big seller. So, but the point being is that there's a lot of poets out there who, they have the kids, they have their lives, they have work, their money, all of their life, their money goes towards exactly that. It doesn't go towards something that some people would consider frivolous, perhaps a book of poetry that they've wanted to create for a long time. Mm -hmm. And so I thought to myself, well, I'm going to try this. I'm going to see if this possibly this idea could work where I can have a thing that helps people actually create their book of poetry. Let's see if we can get funding for this. And then I thought about, well, I can start trying with somebody else and trying to promote their work and see if this works for them. But I also said to myself, I don't want to disappoint anybody. I don't want to create something that is going to, you know, fall flat on its face and say, okay, well, this poet, you know, I'm sorry we couldn't raise the money for your book. So I decided to start with my book um, because even though that seems self-centered, the idealism of it is the fact that, okay, if it's not going to work and people aren't going to help me make my book, how can I possibly be out there trying to help others in the future with this whole idea of create the book to make theirs? So, so far... Um, I've been promoting here and there um, just to see response. And to be honest, I don't know at this point if that idea is going to catch on or not. It doesn't seem like people are out there saying, well, wow, you know, this is a good idea to help people or somebody create a book, uh, whether it's me. But I've seen, actually, I've done research, and there are other people out there in parts of the country who've used this before, even I came up with this idea. That's mm-hmm. the one thing I didn't realize, that there were people out there who said, you know, I really want to create an novel. I really want to create an album. And, that's and the they... Crowd... 
and that's the thing with crowdsourcing is that, you know, you never know who's going to want to donate. And it's a great way to say, hey, I got this great idea. I just need a little bit of help. You know, we mm-hmm. used it uh, to send the SLAM team to Oakland um, last month, you know, because we needed a little bit of help, you know, raising some funds. And, you know, the the response was, was overwhelming. So, I mean, it's it's amazing when you throw it out there what the community as a whole, not just our, you know, local Albany poetry community, but the community as a whole. We got people donating money that were out in California. They didn't even know us. But they they heard the message. They they stumbled across the the fundraising campaign and said, you know what, I'm going to help these guys out. And you know, it's just amazing. Like I said, what the crowdfunding can do. You know, when you have a great idea, I think the creative book idea is, is fantastic. And you, you know, when you have that great idea, to get people behind it, 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 it it's unbelievable. And then once the ball starts rolling, you know, it really picks up some steam. Well, what I'm going to try to do is see how long it takes to do this for a while. Just, you know, kind of hang in there with the idea. And mm-hmm. if it doesn't if it doesn't work for my book, I intend to publish my book by the means necessary that I have to. Uh, I So far, I'm also waiting for three different publishers to get back to me in regards to its publication. So... Uh, that's one of the, the things as well. If not, it's the old school do-it-yourself yep. uh, motto that I live by. That's pretty much how I've done things over the years anyways. So it's not so much a disappointment, but what I would like to see is this idea work so I can try to use it as a project and help other poets in the future reach their mm-hmm. goals because a lot of great poets, great writers are out there. And the problem being, the problem being is that they send out their manuscripts, they send out their work to magazines, um, in academic settings, so to speak. They might publish that book for you, but you might not be the one lucky one that wins that, you know, contest, so to speak, or something of that nature. It's on the basis of where I think with the right um, promotional backing, so to speak, like say, if it were Albany Poets Project or something of that nature in the future, um, where Create the Book could actually work on a local scale for a poet. You really like the work of a poet, for instance, say, who reads out the open mics, but this guy has, like I said, he's has life to pay for. He has his children. He has his house. Your money is going toward your mortgage. Your money is going toward your bills, raising your family. It would be nice to be able to help out um, a chosen writer like that and create a project. And then the great thing is once you are able to raise the funds to help that poet and put out his book, there's the next uh, person in line uh, who is a perhaps a you know a woman who's a single parent or something who wants to put out a book, and you can help them. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I think that's a, it's a great idea. I think in the long run, I think in the long run, whether I run it or 
um, it has a backing. If we could just get the right, you know, just set it up correctly to make it work, it will work. Mm-hmm. So, but in terms of, like I said, my own book, um, The Bones of Our Existence, I think that is going to be a do-it-yourself. <laughs> All right. So speaking of your writing, do you have a poem you want to read for us today? Well, as we, I actually... As we, wrap up our, as we wrap up our conversation? Yes, our, our five-hour conversation, indeed. Hey, you uh, know I could talk about this. I could talk about this stuff all day long. I I, I think it's it's fascinating. We're definitely going to have to do a part two of this uh, of this interview. This is I I love chatting about the history. I love chatting about the 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 past of Albany poetry and and everything that brought us to here. Um, and you know, I I was too young to go to the QE2, uh, so I missed. I was right. You know, at the at, at that at the time where it was ending and I was coming through, and um, so I I love hearing about this and swapping stories and and all this stuff is fascinating. And I think a lot of folks that are coming up now don't realize. And I talk to a lot of people who have no idea that poetry's been in this town for thirty plus years and that we've been doing so much. Um, so I I just love spreading the word and, and, and getting getting all the information that we can. So, but yeah, do you have anything for us today? Well, I do have a piece that I wrote that is based on the ideology of what's going on with the Michael Derrick Hudson situation, okay. if you've heard about that. Gentlemen... Mm-hmm. Uh, writes under the pseudonym of a Chinese name and gets yep. published. Uh, in America's Best Poetry, there's been a huge controversy over it. Uh, so the whole thing that comes to mind, of course, with my sarcastic sense of humor, <laughs> is that what matters in the end are the words. Sherman judged that whole situation by, oh, well, he just happens to be a white writer who gave himself a Chinese name, but I judged on the basis of the words of the work. Mm-hmm. So I believe in that totally. I don't care about somebody's color or creed or background. What I care about is the poetry itself, is the writing itself. From writing, it's not plagiarized. That's really what matters to me. So I wrote this poem called Only the Words, which chances are will be included, by the way, in <laughs> in the bones of our existence. So it's called Only the Words. So what if I told you that Lee Poe was actually a white guy with a time machine from the future, the Midwest, whose real name is Bob And what if I told you that William Shakespeare was actually a Wilma or a cross-dresser, perhaps named Chris? Or maybe even that Bruce Jenner, this famous Olympic athlete, who was a woman too, and nobody knew. Sometimes, 
Or as the famous poet Weldon Keyes once told me, over a few shots of tequila in Mexico with Frida Kahlo and Tom Chatterton, sometimes all is never really what it appears to be. All you have to go by are the words. And if the words inspire you, change you, then that's all that really fucking matters anyways.